I want to thank you and praise you for each one of these folks that came out here today. Lord, I ask you to do a great and mighty work in each one of these people's life today. I ask you to minister your word through them and to them so that they will be able to receive great and awesome things from you. And those that need healing, may they receive it today. And to those that don't need healing, may they grow in grace and knowledge and learn how to do these things so they can go out and be used of you mightily for your kingdom. Lord, we praise you for this day. We worship you today, Lord. We worship you because you are the king of the universe. And Jesus, we want to thank you and worship you and praise you for coming to this earth 2,000 years ago and dying on that old cross and suffering all the things you suffered and then spending three days in hell for us so that the total price for sin and sickness and disease and poverty would be paid by what you did on that cross so your church could live in abundance of health and prosperity. Now help us to understand that and grasp that today as we teach your word in the name of Jesus. We worship you and praise you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now then today, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna show you things that you must do if you want God to heal you and to do miracles for you. Now that's, that's the title of this teaching that I'm gonna start on today, things that you must do, because there is something you must do. Uh, there's so many people that think that, hey, I can just uh, do whatever I want to do. You know, I can go to church when I want to go to church, I can give God a little money if I want to give God a little money. I don't have to tithe. Uh, I don't have to worship Him. I don't have to praise Him. Uh, I mean, I, this is my life. This is my body. I'll do what I want to with it. And so I'll just do that. But I got news for you folks. That's a lie. You can't do that and get God to do miracles for you. Now you can do that and you can live on this earth, but you can't do that and get God to do miracles for you. He's just not going to do it. That's just not the kind of God He is. In fact, I started to tell Fred something there a while ago. I might just tell what I started to say when I walked out. I said, sometimes people that have been outside of the will of God, that have not been serving the Lord, just like this couple I went to the other night, just to give you an example. I went to minister to a family, or a man and a woman, the other night, and this lady that asked me to go, she said, Thurman, if you'll go minister to this family, if this woman is healed when you go, I'll tell everybody in Justin about this woman's healing. I said, you know, you are just like everybody else. She said, what do you mean? I said, I am living and trying to minister amongst the almost total unbelief. Here you are sitting in my Sunday school class and hear me teach the Word of God and then you're going to say, if this woman's healed. I said, this woman was healed 2,000 years ago. It's not if she's going to be healed. The thing about it is she's going to have to receive it, but as long as we keep saying if, 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 nothing happens. There is no faith in if, but that's where we live. But anyway, I told her, I said, yes, I'll go. So I went out there to this home and I sat down and I looked at this precious woman that has had, that has had breast cancer for two or two and a half years had her breast removed and all kinds of problems. She's got all kinds of problems. She got scars and, you know, and she, I mean, they had just done all kinds of things to her. And she was sitting there on the couch and I said, ma'am, are you a Christian? She said, yes, I most definitely am. 
I said, you know you're washed in the blood of Jesus? She said, yes, I know I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I said, you, did you go to church? And she said, oh, yes, I went to church every time the door was open. I said, did you tithe? She said, I most definitely did. She said, I worked here in a place of business in town, and I give God 10% of everything I made right off the top. I said, praise God. I looked over at her husband, and I said, how about you, sir? Do you go to church with your wife? First of all, I said, are you a Christian? And he stuttered a minute, and he said, well, uh, uh, yes. I said, you sure didn't sound too sure about it to me. I said, are you sure you're a born-again Christian? He said, well, yeah, I know I'm a born-again Christian. I said, okay, good. I said, Where did, do you go to church with your wife? And before he could get it out of his mouth, his wife said, well, no, he don't go to church, but he can worship the Lord out here on the farm. Hmm. I said, ma'am, I'm going to tell you that's a lie. I said, you may say you worship God out here on this farm, but I'm going to tell you if he's not going to church, he's not tithing. If he's not tithing, that's put you and him both under a curse. And I'm going to tell you, if he's not going to church and he's not worshiping God and he's not tithing, I'm going to tell you, woman, that's why you got your breast cancer, because of your husband's sin. He said, you know, I never heard nothing like that. I said, that doesn't surprise me, not one bit. But I said, I'm going to tell you, I've learned a lot of things. And I've learned that there's only one thing that get, turns God's hands. And that's worship and praise and obedience to his word. It's unfortunate that most of the church won't tell you these things. But I'm going to tell you that's the truth. So before I left her that night, four hours later, the guy said, now let me get this straight. What do I have to do? I said, first thing you've got to do is repent. Then you're going to have to ask God after you've asked him to forgive you and then you repented. You're going to have to change your ways and you're going to have to start going to church with your wife every Sunday and you're going to have to start giving the Lord 10% of everything you make and you're going to have to give it joyfully. I said, if you do that, I said, he'll heal your wife. So after a little while, he said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. You pray for my wife and if God heals my wife, I'll go to church. I said, forget it. Forget it. I said, God don't make deals to nobody. He don't make deals to nobody. I said, I've come to realize he's the king of the universe and you did his way or you don't get it. He's the one that releases the power. You know why this precious little lady got her healing so quick the other day? You don't, probably, probably most of y'all don't know this lady and I don't know her very long, but already in the length of time I've known this lady, this lady is a giving lady. She gives of herself. She gives to people. She worships God, she loves him, and she's obedient to him. In the few short months I've known this lady, I know this about her already. She worships the king. So whenever she came to the Lord and took authority over the devil as in her knee and spoke the healing power of Jesus, when she got the knowledge, that was the only thing she didn't have. When she got that, guess what happened? She got her healing, and she got it right now. Isn't that awesome? You can be the most obedient person in the world, but yet have a lack of knowledge and still walk in pain and suffering, right, Ann? You got to know it all to make it work for you. But that's what makes a difference. So today, when we get into the scriptures, things that you must do if you want God to heal you and to do miracles for you. Now, I want you to turn into your scriptures to Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. That's where we're going to start. Exodus 34, 14. And I want, as you read that or you look at that, 
as you look at that scripture, and I don't know what translation you've got, I have that scripture in the King James, the New King James, and the Living Bible. Uh, last night when I was working on this uh, little outline for today, uh, I put all three of those in there. But in Exodus 34, verse 14, in the King James, again, it comes right back to you in the very beginning of the sentence, for you, for you. It's amazing how many times that's in the Word of God. For you shall worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You know what it means to worship a jealous God? Let me ask you ladies this. If, one, if, you, if you ladies, some of you are not married, I know, but if you have been or if you had a husband or if you've ever courted a guy and that guy loves you, whenever you were with him, especially when you were young, if you were driving down the street and you were with him and you looked over and there is a real pretty girl walking down the street, what's the first thing you did? You looked over into his eyes to see if he's going to look at that girl. Did you not? <laughs> did you? Sure. Because if he looked over there and if he smiled, what would you do? You punch him in the side and say, quit looking at that girl. Am I telling you the truth? Now what made you do that? Because you were jealous. You wanted him for you only, right? Sure. You didn't want to share him with nobody. Well, if God is a jealous God, and we are going to be his bride someday, and he's jealous, guess what? You better serve him. You better put him first. I don't think we understand the importance of that because it says here now in the Living Bible, in the Living Bible in Exodus 34, 14, it says, for you must worship no other gods but only Jehovah for he is a God who claims absolute loyalty and exclusive devotion. Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? That's pretty clear. The next scripture I want to go to is Psalm 66, 4. Psalm 66, 4. As we go to Psalm 66, 4, I want you to see what the Lord says we shall do, all of us, all the earth. In Psalm 66, 4, the King James Bible says, And all the earth shall worship the Lord and shall sing unto thee, they shall sing to thy name. We shall worship the Lord. Now then, in Psalms 86, while you're right there in Psalms, go on over a few pages to Psalms 86, and let's start with verse 9. In Psalms 86, 9, it said, All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name, for thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Now let me read that in the Living Bible, starting with verse 9. It says, All the nations, and you make each one 
will come and bow down before you, Lord, and praise your great and holy name. For you are great and do great miracles. You alone are God. Tell me where you want me to go, and I will go there. May every fiber of my being unite in reverence to your name. With all my heart, I will praise you. I will give glory to your name forever. For you love so much. You are constantly so kind. You have rescued me from the deepest hell. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> what the Lord has told us to do. Let me ask this question right here before I read some more of those Psalms. We're, after this one, we're going to Psalms 95, just a few more pages over to the right. Psalms 95, and we're going to start there. In fact, let me, let's go over there and let's read that before I ask this question. In Psalms 95, verse 5, it says, O come, let us worship and bow down, and let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And then in Psalms 99, verse 9, and then in all of Psalms 100, so when you get to Psalm, after you read that Psalms 95, 5, and Psalms 99, verse 9, and then that's the only, the last verse in there, and then we'll 100, we'll read Psalm 100. It says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. And in Psalm 100, a psalm of praise, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know you that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Are you getting a, a pattern of what you're supposed to do? When was the last time, and if you don't want to tell me this, you don't have to, but when was the last time that you literally woke up in the morning laying there in your bed and raised your hands and said, Father, I worship you this morning. I praise you for this beautiful day that you have given me. I thank you for all of your benefit package in Psalms 103. I thank you and worship you, Lord, that you have forgiven all of my sins. I thank you and praise you, Lord, that you've healed all of my diseases. I worship you, Lord, because you renew my youth daily like the eagles. I worship you and praise you and thank you because you are my Lord and my God. And then just come under such tremendous conviction of the Holy Spirit that you can't lay in your bed no longer. You just fall off on your knees on the floor with your hands raised and just worship him in private. When's the last time you've done that? Has any? Yesterday. Glory to God. Yesterday. Now, you wonder why this lady got her healing so quick? Isn't that amazing? Now, when you couldn't kneel, and after you ask for deliverance, and you get instantly healed, it's easy to bow down and worship me, isn't it, Ann? Isn't that amazing? As a human being, what would it do for you? In fact, I'll... I'll, I'll ask this question both ways. 
to the ladies and to the men. What does it do for you ladies if your husband, if you have a husband, if he walks in and he walks up to you after he's even had a hard day and maybe you've had a hard day and he walks in and he grabs you and he hugs you and said, honey, you're the most beautiful thing I know of. I love you. I so appreciate what you do for me. I so thank you for taking such good care of this house. I thank you for taking care of the children. I just want you to know I thank you and I worship you. You're the best thing in my life. What does it do for you when, if you had a husband that would it's tell you that once a month? Isn't that awesome? Or your husband comes in from work and you meet him at the door looking good, smelling good, mm -hmm. hair fixed nice and say, honey, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. I want you to know I love you. How long does marriages like that last? Forever. forever. That's right, forever. Now then, if that'll do that for you, if your husband tells you these things, or that'll do that for you, gentlemen, if your wife tells you those kind of things. What do you think it's going to do for our king when we kneel in his presence and say, Lord, I worship you. I thank you for my healing. I thank you that you healed me on the cross. I thank you that you sent Jesus. Jesus, I want to praise you for what you did. I know I can't even begin to comprehend what you really did on that cross or the pain and suffering and how you took all of those sickness and diseases upon yourself so that I could be healed. And I know you went to hell for me and bore all of my sin and all of my sickness and all of my disease and all of my poverty, and you did all of that for me. Lord, I just want to worship you and thank you for that. How do you think that makes the king feel, Fred? Absolutely awesome. And when you do that, the demons of hell that are trying to hold on to you, whenever the king says, Satan, get out of the way. Don't you see that's my son? Don't you see that's my daughter down there on their knees praising me and worshiping me? Don't you know you can't be in that place? What did you not understand when I wrote for them over there in the Psalm when I said, if you will make me your dwelling place or your habitation place, I will send my angels and I will give them charge over you and no plague shall come near your house. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to tell you the place that most of us are lacking. I was lacking for years before I learned these things. But I got to, there, there's a picture that came into existence as I served God. In my little Baptist church, very few people raised their hands. And there's times in that church, as I'd study this word, I'd come under such conviction and I, I don't care where I was sitting, whether it was on the front, in the middle, or back, or wherever it was, there's times we'd get to singing a song and we're all sitting down and nobody's doing nothing and I just couldn't stand it. And all of a sudden I just stand and raise my hands and worship the Lord. And I just stand there and praise Him and worship Him. I mean, I was in a world all by myself. But did you know what I began to notice? That when I went to minister to people after those kind of days, I saw the most awesome miracles and answers to prayer that I ever saw. I said, Lord, there's got to be something to this worship and praise. So I began to go back to the scriptures 
And I began to read everything I could find on worship and praise. My lands, like 140 times in the Psalms alone, in 150 chapters, he said, praise me. Worship me. Of course, worship is again another word that's used over a hundred times in the Word of God. So I just pulled a few of those things out. We are to worship Him. We are to praise Him. We are to serve Him with gladness. We are to enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. When's the last time you saw somebody walk into your church saying, Lord, I worship you and I praise you and I thank you for who you are? But that's what he told us to do. But I mean, you Thurman, I couldn't do that because everybody else here might think I was some kind of, had a loose screw. <laughs> hey, who cares? If it gets the king to do miracles for you, who cares? Yeah. You're right. yeah. So that's what I've come to realize. You know, I, I had a, <clears throat> of course, I'm a little bit unique in a Baptist church as a Southern Baptist deacon, I will have to say. But I've come to realize I'm a little bit unique in some churches, not only Baptists, Pentecostals too, I've had a few of them. In fact, the pastor of this church, Brother Bill, he said, Thurman, I love what you do and I love the way you teach it and I love all these things, but he said, I am very uncomfortable when I'm around you. I said, Brother, why? He said, men of faith, you can't never tell what they're gonna do or what, when they're gonna do it. <laughs> So he said, I'm uncomfortable around you. I said, well, I'm sorry. I said, but that, I just do what God tells me. He said, I know. He said, <laughs> he said, I know. And he said, that's why I'm uncomfortable. But when God tells me to do something, I just do it. If you want him to do something for you next time, you better do it. If you don't, he'll stop talking to you. God's not like us. My wife could never understand why when our daughter was growing up, my son was, he was kind of real lackadaisy, you know, she didn't have any trouble with him, but when our daughter come along, we had a conflict. As she grew up, she said, Amanda, go do this. Well, she'd bow up to mama. You know, and after about the 10th time, you know, she sometimes would just let Amanda off. And so she wouldn't do it. And so I would come in and um, Betty, my wife, she would say, honey, your daughter. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? She's my daughter now. Your daughter would not clean her room today. I told her 10 times. I, when I said, Amanda, honey, go up and clean your room. And she'd go right up there one time and clean her room. Now, why do you think she done that? Because when she was a little bitty girl, she found out real quick when daddy told her to do something, I didn't want to tell her twice. Because if I did, there was a, on the backside. And it wasn't light either. It was pretty firm. So it didn't take but about three times that she learned that daddy meant business. So guess what? As she grew up, my wife could never understand why when I could come in and she had told her and told her and told her and told her and she wouldn't do anything. I walk in and say, honey, go up and clean your room for mama. And she'd go right up there and do it. She said, I don't understand why she will do that for you when she won't do it for me. What was the difference? She knew there was a consequence if she didn't do what Dad said. It's unfortunate that in the body of Christ, when God tells us to do something, either in our spirit or in the Word, and we don't do it, guess what there is? There's a consequence. And one of those consequences that allows Satan to have a legal right to you 
is your failure to worship and praise the king. I'm going to tell you that if you don't worship and praise the king and do it on a regular basis, the devil's going to come by your house and he's going to hit you with some kind of affliction just because you don't worship and praise the king. But if he comes by your house one morning and you're on your knees worshiping and praising the king, guess what he's going to do when he sees you're on your knees worshiping and praising the Lord? He's going to leave. I guarantee you he will. So you don't realize the power in worship and praise. So if you want to see God do miracles for you, the first thing you must do is what this book says about worship and praise. This didn't come from me this, today, did it? Who told you and me to worship and praise the king? God did. He did. Now then, the choice comes down to me. Am I willing to bow my knee before the king? Yes, because you know why I love to bow my king, my knee before my king? I love to be obedient because when I pray for people or when I speak and command in the name of Jesus, I love to see him do things for people. I love to be able to teach the word of God and see a lovely lady like this lady here that was getting ready to go for surgery to take what I had told her from this magnificent book and go speak it and get healed. And of course, she loves it too. Sure she sure do. <laughs> it was a whole lot less painful than the first knee, right, Ann? Isn't God awesome? So he comes down, are you willing to worship and praise the Lord? And if you are, then these great things will happen for you. <clears throat> now then, we go a little further to Psalms 138, verse 2. We'll go over, stay in the Psalms here just a little bit. In Psalms 138, verse 2, it says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Now, then, he, what did he magnify above his name? His word. What is God's word? The Bible. So, if you can find, if you want to talk to Jesus, if you want to talk to the Lord, how can you have a personal conversation with the Lord? Anytime you want to. Read your Bible. That's right. Take your Bible and sit down and read it. Now then, when you spend time with the Lord, when you worship Him and praise Him and thank Him and spend time with Him, then after you've done those things and you've been obedient, then when you come and ask the Lord for something, He will do it for you, providing you come to Him in faith. Because if you, again, if you don't come to him in faith, even after you've worshiped him and praised him, it still won't cause him to do miracles. But you've got to do all these things. It says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above your name. So what is the highest thing that has ever been? The word. The word of God, which cannot be broken. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and you made me bold with strength in my soul. Now, after you've done all these things, after you've worshiped the Lord and everything, and when you cried out to him, what does he do for you? He answers you. He answers you. He's an awesome God. Now then, 
Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, and I want to show you that the devil also wants worship. And it's so unfortunate that so many people, even in the church, worship the devil instead of God. We don't understand this. I might tell you a little story right here about this, about how the devil talks to us. Uh, a Baptist preacher friend of mine, and he was my pastor at the time several years ago, a young man, and his sister had a problem with her kidneys. And I was sitting there on the front row that morning. I remember it like it happened yesterday. And I was listening to him preach, and I don't know if you all know or not, but most good Southern Baptist churches, we have a very structured way of doing things. You know, we start at 11, we sing a few songs to, and have a greeting and so forth to 11, 20, or 25, or maybe 11:30. Then the pastor, pastor gets up and speaks for 20 minutes, and we say a prayer, take the offering, and we go home. You know, we're out of there at 12 o'clock. I mean, you know, I mean, don't you know, don't be late because you know you might miss a football game or something. You know, so or they be late to dinner or whatever. So we don't let the Holy Spirit do much in our churches, but most churches are like that. So anyway, that morning he'd got up to preach and he'd been preaching just about five minutes. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Martha. I said, Martha? Martha who, Lord? I said, I don't know anybody by the name of Martha. I thought, who is this? So I don't, know, I don't know what he's trying to tell me. So about five minutes goes by, and he says, Martha. I said, Martha, Lord, I, I don't know a Martha. This happened three times in 15 minutes. I said, Lord, finally, I said, Lord, I got to have more information. I don't know what you're trying to tell me. I don't know anybody by the name of Martha. And then about that time, the service was over, and the pastor said, before we close, I want to ask you all to pray for my sister. She's losing her kidneys, and her name is Martha Scott. Well, see, now, since he's a faith guy, he gave me one word. I know for beyond a shadow of a doubt that he wants me to tell that pastor what to do to get his sister healed. And so when everybody leaves, I go to him and I said, Martin, the Lord spoke to me three times this morning, called your sister's name. I said, now then, if you'll have your sister do what James chapter 5, verses 14, 15, and 16 says, I said, the Lord will heal your sister. Now, for those of you that don't know what James 5, 14, 15, and 16 says, it says, is any among you sick? Let him or her call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them and anoint them with oil. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. If your sickness is due to a sin, the Lord will forgive your sin and the Lord will raise you up. So therefore, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Pretty awesome promise, isn't it? But guess what? First of all, you got to know that's in the Word of God. You got to believe it's going to work. And then the men that pray for you has got to pray for you in faith. Because if those men that prayed for you didn't pray in faith, guess what's not going to happen? It's not going to work. And you know what happens most of the time, especially not only in the Baptist church, but most churches. When you do that and people pray for you, when you go back and ask those people, do you believe I'm healed? You know what 95% of them will say that prayed for you? Oh, if it's God's will. I hope you are. Well, I'm telling you, that, that prayer didn't work. That prayer didn't work. There was no faith in that prayer. You see what I'm telling you? Now then, he said the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith will make the sick person well. Not the prayer, and not you calling them, but the prayer of faith 
will make the sick person well. So anyway, I told Martin, I said, if you will tell your sister to do that, the Lord will heal your sister. He said, well, I'm going out there this week. I'll tell her. So he goes out there to see her. And next Sunday when he gets back, I said, well, what did Martha say? He said, I didn't tell her. I said, what do you mean you didn't tell her? Something in my spirit told me not to tell her. I said, Martin, you listen to the devil. He said, Thurman, I don't listen to the devil. I said, you did in this case, son. I said, anytime the Holy Spirit spoke to me that clear and called your sister's name three times, the Lord wants to heal your sister. But I said, if you heard something in your spirit, said, don't tell her what that man said, I guarantee that was the devil. How many of us listen to the devil? Anytime you're told to do anything that don't line up with what's written in this book, guess who you listen to? The devil. So anyway, his sister lost her kidneys. And finally, three months later, her dad uh, was the only donor. He was 61 years old at the time, and he gave her one of his. And it worked about three months, and it shut down. Now she's back in the hospital down here in downtown Dallas, and they virtually have given her up to die. I'm sitting there in church that night, and the Holy Spirit's moving upon me, and I'm feeling him, literally feeling him. I said, Lord, what is it you want me to do? I said, Lord, I am yours. I am not my own. I am bought with a price, the price of the only begotten Son of God, and I'll do anything you tell me to do, Lord. I don't care what you want me to do. I'll do it. And so the pastor said, let's close the service. And we stood up, and we stood up. I stepped out of that aisle and started walking right down the front. I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. And I got there. I said, Lord, what am I doing going down here? But I went down there and I laid my left hand upon his right shoulder. And when I did, the Lord spoke to me and he didn't speak to me in a kind, gentle voice. He said, you call this church to pray for Martha Scott and I'm going to heal her. I said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I jumped up on that podium. I said, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, to call this church to pray for Martha Scott and he's going to heal her. And I looked back across there in that congregation. You know what that congregation of Baptists was doing? They were just standing there. I said, look. If you want to see a miracle, get down here and pray. If you don't want to come down here, get on your knees there where you are. And if you don't want to pray, get yourself out the back door and go home. <laughs> but I said, if you want to see a miracle tonight, do what God says. I've learned to do what God says. If you want to see a miracle, you do what the king says. He's the boss. So some of the people begin to move. They begin to come down. They begin to kneel. Of course, I turned around and I knelt down and when I did, the devil spoke to me in an audible voice. He said, oh, have you made a fool out of yourself in this place? Said, they won't nobody ever come back to this church again. I said, devil, I've done exactly what the king told me to do. I said, you get out. <coughs> He's always there. That beast is always trying to get you to miss your miracle, get you to doubt. But I didn't doubt. In fact, we got through praying in 10 or 15 minutes. We stood up there and one of them men said, Thurman, let's go down to that hospital and lay hands on that girl. I said, let's go. So the six of us men got in the van. We drove down to downtown Dallas. We walked up there at that ICU ward and that woman said, what are y'all doing up here this late at night? I said, we come down here to pray for Martha Scott. Well, we understand she's critical. The woman said, yes, she's very critical. She said, well, if you've come down here to pray for her, I'll let you and one other man go in that room. But I ain't going to let all six of y'all go in that room. I said, I want two of us all we need. Well, me and one other man walked in that room and I laid this Bible up on side of her bed. I got on my knees beside that bed and I opened up. I read three or four powerful scriptures and I said, now then, Martha, I'm going to lay hands on you and Jesus is going to heal you. Her mother was sitting in there with her. 
I laid my hands on that woman. I prayed the prayer of faith for that woman. I went outside. We went in a room, all six of us men, and her dad came out there. He's a Baptist preacher. We had another 30-minute prayer meeting and a worship and praise service. We left there and we drove all the way back to Justin, which is about an hour. We worship and praise the Lord and sang songs all the way to Justin. Now, what are we doing? We're doing what God told us to do. We get out of that van, I go home. The next afternoon, I called Martin. I said, Martin, how's Martha? He said, well, Thurman, the doctors don't understand. Her count is changing so fast. I said, you mean she ain't out of the hospital yet? <laughs> See, that's what I expected. He said, no, but they said this right, she's going to be out real quick. I said, okay, good. So I didn't call no more, but Wednesday night when I got to church, guess who's sitting in the service? Martha. I ain't never had a minute's trouble with those kidneys to this day. Now then, she didn't have to lose them if her brother had a believed God. How many times do we miss God? Because of the traditions. You know, one of the things we don't believe in most churches is a gift of prophecy. We don't believe that, do we? But the Lord says it's there. So when you walk up, when God moves on you and tells you to do something, you do it. But what if we're disobedient? See, when God tells you to do something and you don't do it, guess what happened? Did, you, did he really want Martha to lose those kidneys? No. He spoke to me and told me what to do. I went to his brother and told, her brother and told him what to do, which is a Baptist preacher. And he refused to do what the Lord told him to do. So guess what happened to his sister? She lost her kidneys. But for the whole church, the Lord says, is any among you sick in the church? Who does that include? That includes you, Judith? Anybody in the church. So if anybody's sick in the church, if you've got a problem, all you got to do is come to the Lord, come to your pastor, come to the deacons, come to the elders, and say, guys, the Word of God says right here. Now I want you guys to pray the prayer of faith. Now I want to know before you all pray, when you pray, am I going to be healed or not? And if they say, well, I don't know, I'm not sure. If it's, not God's, if it's God's will, then you kick them out because they can't pray the prayer of faith. Pray the prayer of faith for you. You don't want that kind of man or woman praying for you. You only want somebody that says, yeah, it's written in that book. I'll do it. It's done. Praise God. And I pray for you. You've got to be healed, girl. And, and I'll tell you what. You quit asking for anybody to pray for you once, once you start coming and listening to you. Because all the Bible study groups and Sunday school classes and everything else I go to, every one of them have a session at the end for, of prayer requests. Okay. And I used to always, whatever, you know, at least one thing that I had on my heart that day. At the end of this, it's on. It on. It's on. At the end of every uh, Bible study or Sunday school or whatever that I go to, that always have a prayer request at the end and, and ask for those prayer requests. And I used to put my name in that group for something almost every week or someone I knew uh, that had a you know a request that I knew of. And I've quit doing it. I just because I don't want those prayers anymore. I want to know that those people believe in what they're asking for. In other words, if you're not Praying in faith, guess what you don't get from the Lord? Nothing. Nothing. Now then, most people I've come to realize in the church, <coughs> most people in the church, first of all, are not worshiping and praising the Lord. You know, it's, it's kind of a sad state of affairs when you look out across a congregation, if you're up at the front, and you look out there, and most of them look like a... A calf that's been eating briars. <laughs> you know, it's sad. Well, where is the Christian's joy? 
I don't think we know who the king is. In fact, I don't, I don't think that. I know that. I know we really don't know who the king is. We have missed all these things. We leave it up to somebody else to do our, we leave it up to the pastor or the deacons or the Sunday school teachers or whoever to do our worshiping, our praising, our studying and everything because what do we as normal Christian people, when we get saved, what do we want to do if we come to church? Did you know that over two thirds of the people that profess to be Christian today don't come to church at all? Isn't that a shame? Two-thirds of us don't even go to church. You can go to almost any church and see they got 600 members. They'll have 200 there. They got 1,000 members. You know, there'll be maybe 300 there. Got 3,000 members and 1,000 or 12. If they got 1,500 out of 3,000 there, boy, you had a great day. How many, how many uh, members do you all have at Glenview Baptist Church? Three or 4,000? Three or four or five thousand. Uh, how many people on an average Sunday do you have? Do you all know, Fred? Fourteen hundred. Fourteen hundred. So it's pretty well normal, isn't it? Well, see, uh, Preston's got. Uh, I think they claim twenty-one thousand members, and uh, over the weekend that they'll have about seven thousand. Yeah, twenty-one thousand and seven thousand will be there. What's wrong with the church? I don't think we know who God is. Well, we wonder why we got so many problems in the church. We wonder why so many of us are sick and afflicted. I can tell you that's the beginning of the problem. Number one, in all these places, on these two pages that I've went down through so far, many times I've shown you where the Lord says you are to worship Him. You are to bow your knee before Him. You are to thank Him. And how many people in the church never do that? So think about it in your own life. I mean, that's just like one night... Uh, uh, one night, Arsha, she called me one night late at night, and uh, it was, I don't remember what time, 11, 15 or 11, 30 or something for something. And we talked just a few minutes, and then she said, what were you doing? And I said, when you called, I was laying here worshiping the Lord. And she said, well, why don't you just continue? And I said, okay. So she never said a word, and I lay there, and I worshiped and praised the Lord. And finally, I opened my eyes, and I said, I said, my lands, Arsha, do you realize it's 1 o'clock in the morning? I said, I got to go to work in the morning at 6.30. So I said, we better say goodbye. So I laid there for over an hour, and she never said a word. She was just on the phone listening to me worship and praise the king. Is that true? Yeah. You know, she told me one day, she said, I'd like to follow along you at work just to see what you do. Because I said, I walk through my place, my workplace, and I walk out there in the morning and say, glory to God, folks. Hallelujah to Jesus. How awesome he is. But as I do that, when I pray for people there at work, guess what happens? Miracles happen. Miracles. Not just one. We've seen many, many miracles there. But if you don't worship him, if you're ashamed of the Lord, he said, if you are ashamed of me, what will I do to you? I will be ashamed of you. You've read that scripture, haven't you, Judith? So if you're ashamed of Jesus, he'll be ashamed of you, and you'll not get anything from the Lord. So if you want to get something from the Lord, you're going to have to worship him and praise him. Then he says here in Matthew 4, where we was going, in Matthew 4, verse 8, 9, 10, and 11, 
It says, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And when, who was the devil taking up here? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. He was taking Jesus up there. And the devil said unto him, All these things will I give you if thou will fall down and worship me. Now, does the devil want to be worshipped? Yes, he does. That's what caused his fall. He wanted to be worshipped above the Most High. And so that's why he was kicked out of heaven, because he wanted to do things his way. And when I hear people say, well, but Thurman, it won't make any difference. I don't, I don't have to go to church. Uh, I can worship God out here. I'm going to do it my way. Well, yeah, you can do it your way if you want to, but I guarantee the devil's going to come by your house and get you. You ain't going to get any miracles from God doing it your way. The devil didn't get nothing from God. He got kicked out of heaven. When he said, I'm going to do it my way, God said, that's fine. You can do it your way if you want to. But he said, kick him out of heaven. He's out. He's out of here. It's over. And he was eternally sealed. He can never come back. It's kind of devastating to think about that. But guess who the king of the universe is? Last time I checked, his name was Jesus. And if he wrote a set of rules here, guess what? God's not up there in heaven wringing his hands and saying, oh, what am I going to do with all them unruly kids down there? No, he said, they're unruly. He said, Satan, you can do what you want to to them. And guess what happens? You think as a church member, a born-again believer, if you don't worship and praise God and you don't go to church and you don't tithe and you don't do everything God said, you don't think he won't turn you over to the devil? Put him to the test. Guarantee he will. Sooner or later, you either, something's going to happen to you or your kids or something because if you're not worshiping and praising the Lord, if you're not serving him, if you're not going to church and you're not tithing, you're going to give the devil legal right to you or your family or your home your bank account or something, and you're never going to be blessed as a disobedient kid. It's like a man I was talking to the other night. He said, uh, you know, I don't tithe. I said, let me ask you something, brother. I said, if, what if somebody come into your house every week and stole $50 out of your house? I said, if you caught them, what would you do? He said, man, I'd put them in jail. I said, you mean you wouldn't bless them? He said, of course I wouldn't bless them. I said, well, why do you think you're living in a financial problem you've got? You're not praising the Lord. You're not worshiping Him. You're stealing from Him every week. You're keeping nearly all the money He gives you when He told you clearly to give the first 10% of it to me. He said, you know, I never looked at it like that. I said, well, that's what God says. And so when people become obedient and start doing what God tells them, guess what He'll start doing? He'll start blessing you. And all everything around you will change. That may not change immediately. Because he will allow you to be put to the test. Now, when Jesus goes in and he said, now, you know, you do know Jesus is your attorney, right? He's your big brother and he's your attorney as a born-again Christian. You have repented and you've changed your wicked ways and you're tithing. And Jesus walks into the Father and he says, Dad, my, my brother down there, he's quit stealing from you. He's given to the church now. Uh, why don't we start blessing him? And the father says, well, I'm not sure he really means that. Let's give him a couple of months to see if he's really serious about this. So a couple of months later, Jesus walked in. He said, Dad, my son, your, my brother down there, your son, is, he's, he's been tithing every week. He's doing really good. He's really changed his ways. And he's consistently done it for two months. He said, all right. So let's release just a 
little bit of blessings on him. But we don't want to pour out too much too quick because he might get off the track again. Do you realize that's what's going on in heaven? Guess who is it that determines whether the blessings are released to you or not? The Lord. That's right. The Lord. And it's just like you would do your children. If you've got a child that's disobedient and they come home and say, Dad, I'm sorry I made a mistake. I want, I'm going to change my ways and I'm going to be okay. You say, oh, okay, son, here's a million dollars. I got a million dollars in my pocket. It's yours. I believe you're going to do it right this time. You ain't going to do that or you ain't. You're going to kind of let them have a little at a time to see what they're going to do with it, right? That's what God's going to do to you and me. Now then, when he gets to where he can feel like, feel like he can trust you and you begin to be obedient to do everything he tells you to do, he said, then after I've trusted you with the things of the world and I've learned that I can trust you with the things of the world and you're going to use them for my glory, then I will begin to share with you the power of the kingdom. That's awesome, isn't it? I love to be trusted with the power of the kingdom because it's, it's such a blessing. It's such a blessing to be able to do what, in fact, Jim was standing right there beside me the other day out there in, in Phoenix whenever Dave with that carpal tunnel and he couldn't even squeeze his hand and I reached up and just put my hand on that wrist and I said, in the name of Jesus, I command that tunnel in your wrist to open and the arteries and ligaments to become normal and your hand is healed. I said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth has now healed you because you have come back to him and you're serving him and you're obedient and you're going to church and you're tithing. I said, now your hand is healed. Turn it over and squeeze it. And he turned it over and it was instantly made whole. I love to see God do that for his people. I love to see him do that. But I've seen that lots of times. But he'll only allow you to do those kind of things when you start walking in obedience to the word. You gotta be an obedient kid. He won't trust you with it if you're going out and lying, stealing, and cheating the rest of the week. But the devil, he said, all these things will I give unto you if thou wilt fall down and worship me. You know what the devil, you know how many men and women that lose it right here whenever the devil comes to you and says, oh, don't go to church. Come over here in my world. Look at all this glitter. All this can be your, you ain't got time to go to church. Come over here and do this. Get you a good education. Get out here in the world and start working hard and you'll make all this money. I'll see to it. What happens to most of us when he makes us that promise? We do it. I ain't got time for church. I got to go to college and get me an education. I mean, God, next year, when, I mean, when I get old and wore out and I ain't got nothing else to do, then I'll come back over here and serve God. Have you ever heard people make a statement like that? I have. And so they go over there and they serve the devil and they get 30, 40 years old and they're going great and I mean everything's going good and everything, they got money and power and everything else and then all of a sudden guess what happened? The devil comes into your house and he either kills one or two of your kids or your wife or your husband runs off with another man or woman or whatever and then all of a sudden one of you come down with cancer and you die at 40 or 45 years old and everybody's mad at God. Who did it? The devil. Not God, the devil. Then saith Jesus unto the devil in verse 10, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. 
thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thou serve. Now, I wonder where Jesus got that from. From all those scriptures in the Old Testament, we said to worship. I wonder where Jesus come up with that. You reckon he knew the word? And he acted on the word. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Isn't it amazing? When you worship the Lord, the devil will leave you, just like he did right here. And when the devil leaves and you've worshiped, who comes to minister to you? The angelic host. They're the same. They'll do the same thing for you. In John 4, 23, in John chapter 4, verse 23, the Word of God says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus says, But the hour cometh, and now is, we're in that time today, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. In verse 24, now God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. How do you do that? You ever stop to think about that? How do you do that? Turn over a couple of, uh, well, not, may not even a page, to John 6, 63, and let me show you what the Word says right there. John 6, verse 63, It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. So if the Word of God if they are spirit and they are life, if you want to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, how can you worship Him? By speaking His words to Him. When you fall down beside your bed, or you stand to your feet, in a, or you fall on your knees in a sanctuary, or at home, or in your closet, or wherever you are, when you are worshiping the Lord, what should you speak to him? His word. As you speak his word to him and you speak his promises to him, you are worshiping him with his promises. And if you're speaking his promises and you're calling him into remembrance of his promises, therefore he knows that you have them hidden in your heart. And if you're willing to act on those promises, guess what will begin to happen to you? As you worship the Lord, you praise him, you worship him in, in truth and in spirit with his word, and as you speak his words or his promises before him, therefore him and the devil both knows that you know what those promises are. Amen. And when you get that in your spirit, guess what happens to your cancer? It goes away. You are healed. Just like Ann up here. She, by faith, acted on the Word of God. Let me just ask you a question. How much faith does it take for a woman or a man, but I'll use Ann as an example here, that's been to church all of her life, or many years, and has served God, 
and she's sitting in a big, beautiful Baptist church, and she's hearing men teach and preach the Word of God, but she's never heard anything really taught on healing. Never. I mean, got the best Baptist teacher, Sunday school doctor of so-and-so. I mean, he's, he's a doctor of theology. He's been to school. But he never taught her the power of the Word. And then she comes and hears some crazy engineer talk about the power of the Word of God. But she sees it in the book. And now you can't get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> and praise God. But whenever, whenever she takes that word, that and God says he uses the simple things of the world to confound the wise. The wise. <laughs> I'm sure that's why God called me, because as he let me speak these things, I'm sure some of the doctors of theology say, who is this crazy Southern Baptist deacon? This guy's a farmer. He's an engineer. Who does this guy think he is? Well, I just love Jesus, and I just believe his word. And when I teach it, and those that lock on to it, it works for them. So when a lovely little lady like this that I had never met until a few months ago comes to a healing school, hears God's word, and goes home and sits down, can't see this demon, but she's going to act on what she knows is written in this book. There's been a man that tells her that sickness and disease comes from the devil. It's not God. So to sit down there and look at her knee and say, devil, you're the one that's in there messing up my knee. In the name of Jesus, I command you to get out. And I ain't going to have it no other way because it's written. Now then say, Lord, thank you for healing me. And so now I'm going to go do anything I want to do. I'm going to run. I'm going to kneel. I'm going to do anything I want to do. And let's say, for instance, that she gets up out of her chair and she starts to kneel and the devil says, I'm going to put you to the test. And he says, he scrunches that knee up. He's, guess what he's trying to get you to do? <coughs> to do what? Back off. Back off. He's up. Oh, you're going to say, wait a minute. Now that stuff Thurman taught me. Oh, it was in the word. And I did hear that. But it didn't work. My knee still hurts. But guess what? If you say, no, devil, it's going to work. I'm going to make it work because it's written in the Word, and I'm going to kneel on this knee, and it ain't going to hurt no more. In Jesus' name, there's a battle going on between good and evil. And the minute that you stand on God's Word, guess what's going to happen? You are going to get your answer every time. Or if you get up and say, just like a Baptist preacher, come to my office one time, I was teaching him these things, and he was on crutches. And I said, you know, if you had any faith, if you, I said, you know the Word of God. You've been to seminary. You've graduated from seminary. But I said, if you, and he'd been a preacher 12 years. I said, if you had any faith, you wouldn't be walking on them crutches. He said, Thurman, what are you trying to tell me? I said, just what I just told you. The Lord made you a promise. He said he healed you on the cross. So what should I do? I said, do you believe God? He said, yes. I said, let's take a great promise here. Let's turn over in the Bible to Mark 11, 23 and 24, and let's read those two verses. Turn over in your Bible to Mark 11, 23 and 24, and let's see if, if that verse has kind of, got any kind of power in it. Now, Jesus was talking in Mark 11, 23 and 24. Jesus made you a promise there. Mark 11, 22, he said, if you have faith in God. If. Now, that's what's wrong with the church. We don't have any faith in God. We really don't. We say we have. We're like this young lady the other night I went over to minister to, and I said, now, before you get healed, young lady, you've got to have faith in God's Word. She said, I have great faith. I said, all right, then quote me your favorite scripture. 
Well, let's see. Which, let's see. What? Uh, uh, she said, uh, hmm, let's see. What? And five minutes later, I said, honey, you ain't got great faith. You ain't got no faith. I said, you can't quote me one scripture, and you're going to tell me you got great faith? I said, you have been deceived. If you don't have any of God's word hidden in your heart, you have zero faith. Because faith is the word of God. So anyway, Mark 11, 23 and 24 says, 22, verse 22 says, if you have faith in God or the God kind of faith, Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Not only shall you do what I've done, but you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea. And if you don't doubt in your heart, but you believe what you say, the mountain will obey you. So therefore, when you stand praying, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it and you shall have whatsoever you ask for. Is that what he said? I said, so do you believe God's word? He said, of course I believe God's word. I said, then you want to walk without that crutches? He said, of course I do. I said, then let's ask the Heavenly Father on behalf of Mark 11, 24. Let's ask him. Let's say, Lord, we thank you that you healed us on the cross. We thank you that uh, this man's leg no longer has a problem and that he's going to walk on it. He's going to walk right now because I said, Lord, faith is right now. It's not tomorrow. Hope is tomorrow. Faith is now. So I said, Lord, thank you for healing him. I said, tell the Lord, thank you for healing you. He said, Lord, thank you for healing me. I said, okay, now stand up, put your crutches under your arm, walk out to your car, and put them in the car and come back in here. <laughs> Are you serious? I said, did you believe God, yes or no? He looked at that phone. He said, let me see that Bible. He said, that's what that says. I got to believe with no doubt. Laid it down. He said, I'm gone. He stood up, put the crutches under his arm. He turned and he kind of limped two or three times and he walked out the door of my office and he walked out, went out to his car, come back in, walked in, sat down in my chair. I said, tell me what happened. He had only hurt about the first four or five steps. After that, he said there was no pain at all. Isn't that awesome? I mean, did he, did he say we could do that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, so if, he, if God says we can do those kind of things, what is wrong with the church with a promise like that? If that was the only one in the Word of God, what is wrong with us? Why don't the Baptists teach us that we can heal? I mean, that God can heal us. They don't ever teach us that. Paul's the one flesh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because it always goes back that, to that will of God. Wait, wait a minute, yeah. If you, always, if you want to say something, be sure and put it on the tape. So there, can, as I'm seeing it, they're always saying you have to pray. The, word, the exact thing I'm hearing on the radio and the church everywhere, you have to pray in the will of God. And they always put that little phrase on the end after they have this wonderful prayer. Okay. If it be God's will. Okay, now I will. I, what and which you, is the doubt. Oh, that's right. But now I will say, I will have to agree with what you said at the fact that we have to always pray within the will of God. But let me tell you, folks, this Bible is the will of God. Now then, if God, when he was here on earth, was speaking to, in fact, let me ask you this question, because I've run into very few people that ever realized this. When Jesus was teaching this bunch of men, who was he talking to? Were these born-again, Holy Ghost-filled Christians he was talking to? Who were these men? They were a bunch of unregenerated Jewish men. Jesus had not died on the cross yet. He had not risen from the dead yet. His substitutionary uh, death, his, his uh, death, burial, and resurrection had not become your substitute yet for your sin. 
These men were not filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not come to the earth yet. Is that right or wrong? Of course that's right. So if he's trying to teach this group of unregenerated Jewish men what they can do if they will just say the right thing, my lands, what can the church do once he died on the cross? And after Acts chapter 15, he began to give revelation to Paul about how he became the substitute for us. And now then, anybody that will come into the kingdom and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're not unregenerated Jews no more. You and I that believe in Jesus, we are born again, blood-washed, Holy Ghost-filled children of the King of the universe. Do you realize you're a daughter? You're a princess of the King of the universe? You've been empowered with all the spiritual blessings. Everything that was available to Jesus is available to you because you are a son or a daughter. And then he made a crazy statement in John 14, 12, and 13. To anybody that believes in me, not only shall you do what I have been doing, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. So therefore, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll do it for you that it may bring glory to the Son. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, it will be done for you. And we go and pray a prayer of healing for somebody and say, oh God, if you're listening today, if it be your will. <laughs> you know what that must do to the king? What would that do to you if you were a man or woman of means and you had plenty of money and you had a son walk in and say, Dad, you told me to mow the yard every week for you and you would give me $10 after a month. And Dad, I've mowed the yard twice. I've done it more than you ask. But Dad, I know you probably ain't got the money. I know you ain't going to give me that 10 in. That's okay, Dad. I'll, I'll just do that. Can you imagine what that would do to you? What do you think it must do to God when he told us, I'm a faith God? And to those that come to me must come to me in faith, and you must believe that I am, and that I reward those who earnestly seek me. And you walk in and pray a crazy prayer. Lord, if it be your will, would you please heal me? When he sent his son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross, to pay the price for your healing, to pay the price for your sin, to become the substitute for your sin, for your sickness, for your disease, and for your poverty, and for the curse, redeemed you from the curse and everything so it's all yours so you can walk in total health and prosperity and you come to him and say oh God would you please do this for me if it be your will you know what I believe that must do to the king when he says you're lukewarm what does he say I do to you I vomit you out of my mouth you know what I you know why I think so many Christians don't ever see an answer to prayer I think we get vomited out of the mouth of the king. But if you walk into his throne room, you're, you realize you're a king's kid. You realize your dad is the king of the universe. And you've been an obedient kid. You go to church. You tithe. You wake up in the morning worshiping the Lord and thanking him. Lord, I thank you and I praise you and I will worship you because you're my dad. I thank you for all these things. And when you get through worshiping and praising him and you walk up there sometime, as I have done many times with many people, I have caught somebody, another little man or a little woman 
that their mate has left them or they got a kid that's living in rebellion or whatever, and I say, no crying, no tears. You get a hold of Jesus on that side. I'll get a hold of him on this side. And I said, I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to catch us up in the spirit where we are already exalted with Jesus, where we're seated on the throne of God, where we're in Christ. We're going to walk into the throne room with our big brother, realizing that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And I'm going to ask the father to move upon your son or move upon your husband or move upon your wife and we're going to break the power of the devil over that person and we're going to ask him to move by his power of his spirit and save that kid or bring that spouse back home or whatever. And I, I mean, I'd done that for a man here a, few, a couple of years ago that his wife had left him and went to work in an exotic club as a strip dancer. And I prayed that prayer with that man that night and in one hour's time, his wife found herself on her knees before her locker, just like scales fell off, and she said, what am I doing in this place? She called her ex-husband. He come over there at that club and got her picked up and brought her home, led her to Jesus. The next morning they were married, and whenever he called me the next Friday night to tell me what had happened, I said, how long were you all divorced? He said, we had been divorced 14 years. And in one hour's time after I prayed that prayer of faith, that woman, the devil was kicked out of her and that woman called him and she went and he went and got her and he led her to Jesus and got her saved and their total life was transformed that night because of one prayer of faith. Now what does God honor? He honors the prayer of faith. That's it. So your real answer to her question to Anne's is they don't have the faith. That's right. They don't have the faith to call God and say this is, we believe it, we know it, you said it and now it's here. That's right. I am telling you that if you don't have faith, you might as well stay home. <clears throat> now then, if you've got faith, and we're going to show you how to get that today. Okay, what about the tweeners? Now, some of us are tweeners. You know, in East Texas, you got those tweeners, and they, uh, they have faith, and they, and they approach God with a faith type of, you know, prayer. But yet, there's still that hindrance, it seems. So it may be what some of the things you've been talking about here today. It may be the lack of tithing or whatever. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. There's absolutely no doubt that if anybody that don't have these things hidden in your heart, and the only way to get there is, first of all, first of all, just like we started out saying here, you have to worship the Lord. If you don't worship Him, you don't praise Him, I'm going to tell you, you might as well stay home. Because if you don't worship and praise the king, he is a jealous God. Now let's put it this way. What if my wife, I mean, praise God, I've been married to this lovely lady 40 years, and she and I, I've traveled the world over, but in the 40 years I've been married to my wife, she and I have been 100% faithful to each other. We made that commitment over 40 years ago when we got married that we would make one marriage one time and whatever problems arose, we could stick it out and we could make it and that I would never run around on my wife and she would never run around on me. Now, I will have to say, you know, when I was 21 years old, when we were going together and she was 18 years old, that story I told a while ago, I can still think of the times in my little 57 Chevrolet two-door Bel Air hardtop 
when we're driving down the streets of Brownwood and she's sitting right here under me and all of a sudden there's a pretty girl walking down the street, I learned real quick not to look. Because <laughs> if I looked, I'll, if I looked and smiled, she'd say, quit looking at that girl. <laughs> Where do you think I learned all these things? I learned because I knew my wife was jealous. She didn't want to share me with nobody. She wanted me all to herself. That's why she married me. And guess what? When I married her, I didn't want to share her with nobody. I mean, after all, you think about it. How would you feel if your mate decided one night to go home and spend the night with another man or another woman? How would that make you feel? I think that's why there are so many divorces today, don't you? Because we're jealous. When we marry somebody, they're supposed to be yours, right? Absolutely, nobody else. But guess what we do? Did you know I heard on the Focus on the Family the other day that 52% of the marriages in America fail? And out of that 52%, the first 27% of that 100% are Christians and the other 25% are unbelievers. Isn't that awesome? To think that in the church there's more infidelity and breakups and less people can make it supposedly serving the king of the universe. You know what that tells me? We don't know who God is. The devil has cheated us. He has lied to us. He has, because you know what most men most men, I was similar to this myself when I was young. I thought I had to go to college. I thought I had to get a good education. And I had to work hard and long hours to make money to get ahead. I did a whole lot too much of that the first 10 years of my working life until I began to realize the Lord says, seek me and my righteousness first. And then all these things that your heart desires shall be added unto you. So when I begin to give him more time, and more money. Guess what began to happen to me? Everything began to go fall into place. And so now then, my wife and I have been married 40 plus years. You know, we've raised two children, grandchild, now coming along, no problems with our children, no problems with their mates. You know, everything's going good. We got a big, beautiful piece of land that's paid for. We got a big, beautiful home on it that we never had to finance a nickel. We paid for it as we built it. You know, God's good. But he's only good to those that are willing and obedient. You have to be obedient. I'm just going to tell you how it is. You can't be a disobedient kid because he's jealous. Because you yourself, many of you in this room today are here today by yourself because many of you had a mate at one time. But because of some kind of a problem, y'all couldn't make it. Right? Absolutely. Infidelity or whatever. And there's no woman in the world that, I mean, well, there may be a few, but there's not many women in the world that if they find out their husband is running around with another woman and going to bed with another woman, she don't want her husband in bed with her no more. I mean, she wants him. She don't want nobody else. That's why she married him. And she don't want to share him with one, two, three, or four more women. And I'm the same with my wife. You know, I never would want my wife to go to bed with another man. As we drove up the road the other day going to Denton, 
to meet my son and his girlfriend. He's got the first lady friend. He's 25 years old. He's just about ready to graduate from college, and she's the same way, just about ready to graduate from college. And he said, Dad, I want you and Mom to come over and have lunch with us over at Denton. He said, I've met the first girl that I thought I might be interested in making her my wife. He said, now, I've gone with a lot of girls. But now I've told my son when he was this big, I said, son, I'm going to look you right straight in the eye. And I'm going to tell you, if you ever go to bed with a woman and have sex with a woman, you're going to get a demon. Because God says, I'll put you under a curse. And I said, you ain't going to like the results. And I said, it might be AIDS, and it might be some kind of venereal disease, but I guarantee you're going to get a demon. So I said, whatever you do, you keep yourself pure and clean so the first time you ever go to bed with a woman, she is your wife. And I said, if you will do that, it'll just be like me and mama. I said, God has blessed me and mama with 40 years now. At that time, it was a lot less. But if marriage, and I said, she's been faithful to me and I've been faithful to her. We've never run around on each other. And I said, God has given us an awesome, blessed life. I said, now, son, I've learned what works. So I'm going to tell you up front, I'm not going to tell you like some of these daddy do. If you go out there and run around with the girls, be careful. Don't get one of them pregnant. I'm going to tell you, son, you better not touch one of them. I said, in fact, son, when you go with that girl, don't you lay your hand on her nowhere, on no private part, nowhere on that girl. You keep your hands off of her. And so far, he tells me, Daddy, I have listened to every word you said. And to this day, I have never touched a girl on her private part. And he's 25 years old. He's a good-looking boy. One day when he gets married and all these girls he's went with, guess what he can do one day when he looks them in the eyes? He said, I treated you like a lady. There needs to be more daddies that teach their kids Amen. that. Absolutely. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I have learned that when a boy and a girl goes to bed and have sex outside of wedlock, they get a demon. And who knows what kind of demon it'll be. I've delivered kids that had demons of alcohol, demons of nicotine, and they got them because of they were disobedient in the sexual realm. And I could not get them set free until they confessed their sin. I've had boys that were alcoholics that couldn't stop drinking when I found out they had sex with their, their mate before they got married. And when I got them to confess that as sin and I cast that demon of nicotine or alcohol out of them, they instantly were delivered and never had a problem with alcohol again. But until they confessed that sin, I could not get that boy free from drugs or alcohol. If God says you have sex with a woman before you marry her, I'll put you under a curse. Guess what, folks? He meant exactly what he said. I don't know why we don't hear more of that in the church, too. But the reason we don't hear that is because we got 27% of the 52% that's divorced in the church. And so the preacher don't want to tell you that because he's afraid he'll offend you. Oh, our preacher tells us that. Well, glory to God. That's praise God in that part. That's good. So you need to be holy. In fact, have you ever read, because I am holy and you're my kids, be holy because I am holy? You read that? That's in the book. He read, wrote that for you in First Peter. Now then. <clears throat> so you must worship the Lord in spirit and in truth and if these words are spirit and they are life unto you, then if you will worship God with these words, guess what would begin to happen to you? Your life will be transformed. You'll be changed. 
Now then, after you have worshipped the Lord, after you've worshipped him in his word, after you've worshipped him in spirit and in truth, now then you're ready to make your faith work. But now just worshipping him won't move the hand of God. That's the beginning, but it won't move God's hand. It won't get you a miracle by itself. The next thing you've got to do is you've got to have faith.